Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again, have the pleasure of welcoming Catherine Besness. Catherine, thanks again for joining us. How are you doing? Well, as always, any time with you is loads of fun for me, and I'm always happy to bring a little more sense of financial peace to our doctors. So it's another great day. Wonderful. Well, we couldn't do it without you, so thank you, thank you. As I look here at our topic for today, I know our last few podcasts have featured Roth 401ks, IRAs, and now it looks like we're on to the Roth IRA. Is that correct? That's correct. Today it's all about Roth IRAs. Wonderful. We're giving the full tour of retirement vehicles. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the full tour, but it's it's close. It's close. Wonderful. Well, I will be honest with you. I would dare guess that if we asked a number of physicians to tell us the differences between the Roth 401k an IRA and a Roth IRA, a lot of us would kind of look at you with blank stares. So please tell us what we need to know. Okay, great. Well, they came about Roth IRAs in 1997. They were People asked me, how did they get that name? They were named after the late Senator William Roth from Delaware. And uh, the word Roth then has become synonymous in the United States for a tax-free investment, uh, particularly a tax-free retirement investment. Excellent. So I can assume that Senator Roth was just really passionate about financial planning? Actually, I know nothing about him, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm very grateful for these tools because uh, over time, they have a huge, huge impact on our clients' financial future. Wonderful. Well, tell us how they're unique. Well, let me run through some basics if I can, and kind of the rules and the twists and turns. So first, you or your spouse must be working in order to contribute to a Roth IRA. Uh, just once again, I should have mentioned to our listeners that we did talk about Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs earlier in a couple podcasts ago. And it is possible to have both a Roth 401k, 403b and a Roth IRA. So a lot of people get confused about that. So I just wanted to straighten that out at the beginning. Excellent. So as I said, you and your spouse must be working in order to contribute, and the rules apply to earned income. Um, so if your income is what the tax folks think of as passive, meaning it's from investments or trusts, you won't qualify. So you actually have to earn some money. And is there any ceiling or limit to that income, or as long as you have any amount of earned income? Well, that's a really good question. So it's any amount of earned income, but there is a ceiling in the sense that uh, if you're under 50 the most you can contribute this year, 2018, would be 5500 per spouse um, or uh, how much you earned if it was less. So if you only made 3000 this year, you couldn't contribute 5500 You'd be limited to 3000 And then once you get to be um, over 50, heaven forbid, but uh, then the IRS blesses you and you can put in an extra 1000 as kind of a catch-up provision so you can um, invest up to 6500 so I have to say, it seems a number of these vehicles offer you this quote-unquote catch-up provision, which we may be at risk for these catch-up provisions going away. Honestly, I've never heard anything about them going away. And I agree with you. I think they're huge because a lot of times people are 50 or a little bit older before their kids are done with college and they can finally start saving. So I think it's very appropriate. And pretty much all of our clients who are over 50 are doing the catch-up provisions with either Roths 
Um, by that, I mean Roth IRAs or their accounts at work. Mm. So good question. So maximize your savings at any point in life, anytime you can. <laughs> exactly. That's it. Although I will say the earlier you start, the better. So anyway, um, so continuing on, all the contributions to Roth IRAs are made after tax. So this means, Christy, unfortunately, you cannot take a tax deduction for investing into a Roth IRA like you could in a traditional IRA that we talked about last time. Okay, so definitely if there's some tax planning strategies, there's something to be very aware of. Exactly. So the contributions grow tax-free until you're age 59 and a half. And after 59 and a half, you can withdraw your earnings and the original investment tax-free, or you can actually leave them in the account and they're going to continue to grow tax-free. Is there any point or any age at which you want to withdraw and you do have to pay taxes or because the taxes were paid up front forevermore, it is a tax-free account? Oh, that's such a great question. And the answer to that, unfortunately, is a little more complicated. Uh, Always complicated. (laughs) Of course, what's the IRS? You know, think of all those accountants they're keeping in business. So after age 59 and a half, as I said, you can take any amount out when you want. There's no taxes and you're not required to take the money out. So technically you could leave it to your kids and you wouldn't have any income tax on that. Hmm. Now, What happens if you want to take the money out earlier than 59 and a half? That gets tricky. So if you, um, after five years, you can take out what we call the basis or the original investment tax-free, but not the earnings. However, there's also, if you take out the earnings, then there's a 10% penalty and ordinary income tax on uh, what you're taking out, the earnings that you're taking out. That sounds painful. It's extremely painful. And because it's so painful, I have a lot of clients who just um, think, oh, I need to do a Roth IRA. Everybody tells me I need to do a Roth IRA. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you lock this money up to your 59 and a half? Well, you know, I may want to buy a house or a car, get married or, you know, whatever it is. I'm like, gee. I wouldn't recommend it then because if you think you're going to need this money, it's not going to be very liquid and it's going to be very expensive to take the money out. So again, if you put in the investment, it has to be in the account for five years and then you can withdraw your original investment amount. You're not allowed to take any of the withdrawals on the gains as you will suffer high penalties until you reach 59 and a half. Am I getting it? That's pretty close. It's not that you're not allowed. You could take the gains, mm-hmm. but you'd have this 10% penalty in ordinary income tax. Okay. On that. You know, so depending on what the account is, you could lose 50% of the account. Yeah. You know, That's not a that. good idea. That's never a good no. idea. <laughs> Even I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Very counterproductive. Sounds like this account is maybe a little bit different because in the past we talked about the requirement of taking RMDs. And it looks like this account does not have that obligation. Is that correct? That is correct. This account does not have required minimum distributions. Excellent. So the main idea is once you put it in, plan on not touching it for at least five years or ideally until you're 59 and a half. Right. I'll be frank. I don't tell most clients they can pull out the basis 
after five years because I'd really like them just to keep it there. So it only comes up if it's some sort of crisis. So in general, I tell them, leave it till it's at least 59 and a half and you should be good. Wonderful. All right. What do we need to know next? Well, all contributions to Roth IRAs are made after tax. So that means you can't take a deduction like we can in a traditional IRA. So that's an important thing to note. And next, once you reach the senior age of 70 and a half, you're no longer eligible to make a traditional IRA contribution, even if you're working. And we talked about this a little bit at our last podcast. However, when it comes to Roth IRAs, once again, the rules are different. So even if you're 70 and a half or older and you're still working, you can still make Roth IRA contributions. Hmm. So it sounds like maybe that would be someone who has done a really good job of maybe financial planning for themselves. And now they're working and really thinking about the next generation as a way to give them some tax-free income. You know, it could be, or I just have a number of doctors who just really like what they're doing. I, I have this adorable psychiatrist who just left right before we were meeting. I think this guy's going to work till he's 80, 85, maybe 90. And he's a very, very good saver. They don't spend much money. And it would make a ton of sense for him to keep putting that money into Roth IRAs every year. Uh, If he doesn't need to live on the money, it's a way to get more money in the tax-free bucket. And to your point, it means more money he can leave tax-free, or at least income tax-free to his kids and grandkids. Wonderful for him. It also makes me reflect back to a comment you made earlier about physicians that tend to live well into their 80s and 90s. So I suspect perhaps if you have a really long lifespan and, and blessed to have that, then maybe this might be a great vehicle to help get you to, to have the funding you need late in life. And that's a really important point because, it, you know, as I've said to you over and over, any fool can make money in an up market. That's not the hard part of what we do. Uh, the hard part is trying to do it in a tax efficient manner. So a huge part of our analysis is actually looking at each client's current assets, how much are in IRAs, how much are in qualified plans, how much are non-qualified, how much in tax-free, and putting together what in the industry we call a distribution strategy. How do you pull those funds out in the most tax-efficient manner possible? I've actually seen it save clients hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in taxes if they're very careful about their distribution strategies. So when it comes to Roth IRAs, I like to push those towards the end of retirement if possible, maybe when they're in their late 80s and then they're in their 90s and so forth, and to give them a chance to grow, 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 and then we can pull all that money out tax-free towards the end of their life. Mm. Those tax savings are unbelievable. I can't imagine that there's no one who wouldn't be cognizant of the fact of, you know, upwards of a million dollars missing from their bank accounts. <laughs> well, you would think, but honestly, it's such a sl- it's like, I don't know what, it's like a slow leak. Mm. You don't realize it's happening. And if you don't have someone who's helping you that's attuned to this, you may not even realize that it's an option. So, you know, the doctor I was talking about today, I was talking about, he's in his early 60s, and we still have time to do a lot of this planning for him. And he was like completely shocked when I was showing him how much money he could save. And even in just a few years, um, planning his accounts to be more tax efficient, I figured it was going to save him about $700,000. And, you know, in after-tax wealth, he'd have 700000 more money 
just in after-tax wealth. So I, it's, it can be pretty significant. Wow, that is a lot of money. But your comment made me think of another question. So you made note that you cannot make withdrawals um, without penalty, that is, until 59 and a half. Are you still eligible to open a Roth IRA after the age of 59 and a half? Or does the count need to be active before that age and then withdrawals after that is needed? Oh, no, I love your questions. They're so good at helping me frame things up more clearly. So, you, yes, you can open an account after age 59 and a half as long as you or your spouse is working. Okay. So you could be 80, 85 and open up a Roth IRA for the first time as long as you were working. Excellent. Um, and again, you can still continue to make contributions beyond the cutoff of the 70 half years um, of the traditional IRA. Exactly, because there are no required minimum distributions. So that set the year, um, that 70 and a half rule doesn't even come into play here. Wonderful. Okay, good to know. And tell us a little bit more about how to make the contributions. Well, doctors have to be really careful about investing directly into a Roth IRA because the IRS has limits, of course, on whether you can directly invest, and these depend upon your income. So married doctors who are filing joint tax returns uh, must make less than 189000 this year in order to qualify for a direct Roth IRA contribution. Mm, okay. And I hate to say it, but that salary sounds kind of low for a full-time employed physician. Well, totally. I think I may have one or two doctors that would qualify and they're like primary med docs working part-time. Mm. Uh, so you're right. And it's worse for single doctors because if they're single, they can only make 120000 So as a result, what I found in our practice is we pretty much have to limit direct what we call direct Roth contributions to residents and fellows. You know, they're making 50, 60, 70,000 a year. Obviously they're under the limits so they can still do direct contributions. So if you're in a position to use this vehicle early in life, this is the time to make, take the best advantage of it. True. Now I have a tax loophole that I can talk about in just a minute on how to get around that called a backdoor Roth. Uh, so if you're okay, let's postpone talking about backdoor or tax loopholes into, uh, until a little bit later in our conversation. Sure. So moving on, Roth IRA accounts are held at custodians, just like traditional IRAs. So once again, this would be like a bank, could be Wells Fargo, Bank of America, your neighborhood bank, or an investment company. It could be Fidelity, Vanguard, TD Ameritrade, just to name a few. And just like IRAs, you're able to use any investment that your custodian offers. So uh, common ones, actually, I do see cash or money markets, in these accounts, which makes no sense to me at all because they're not really growing, but sometimes doctors have them there. You can use annuities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, uh, real estate funds. And some choices can get a lot more exotic with certain custodians. They might allow you to do precious metals like gold or silver or uh, stock in closely held companies. And is that again, when you enter into this agreement with a custodian, you decide sort of what type of investment you're comfortable with and how risky the investment strategy can be? Exactly. So if you're doing this on your own, you would pick how you want to invest it. They usually default to something like a cash or money market account. So honestly, I've seen doctors who just put cash in there 
and years later that it's still cash and they missed years of investing. And obviously cash is not even going to keep up with inflation. So if you're going to do this, dot the I's, cross the T's and pick in an investment. Yeah. Cause that option you just mentioned sounds incredibly painful. Oh my gosh. Yes. Very. Now the transactions in a Roth IRA, which means if you're getting interest on your bonds or dividends on stocks or capital gains are not subject to any tax at all while they're in the account. So that's another good thing about them. Sounds perfect. And you're allowed more than one Roth IRA. I mean, you could have, I've, I've seen doctors that might have two or three of them in various institutions. Once again, I don't recommend this because it's a lot more difficult to track them. It's harder to manage. So I prefer to have them all uh, combined into one, uh, one account and use a very consistent investment philosophy on it. And would there really be any benefit for having multiple Roth IRAs? Honestly, I can't think of any. The, um, the only situation might be um, I've got a couple of clients that are investing in a closely held business and we have to use a special custodian in order for them to get stock in this private business. And so they might have to open up a separate account just to be able to do that where their rest of their Roths would be in a more traditional mutual funds or stocks, and they could do that a different custodian. So it'd be a pretty rare situation. Hmm. Well, I know doctors tend to be rather risk adverse, so maybe perhaps they argue that that's a way to sort of distribute risk if they have multiple accounts. But it sounds like, in your opinion, it just makes it more difficult to keep track of things and it requires a higher level of organization. Right. I don't think it distributes the risk at all, but you're right. In my mind, it just complicates things. It makes it harder to get them organized. Well, let's not do that then. It is possible to have both a Roth IRA and a Roth 403B or 401k at work. And as I mentioned earlier, this is an area that a lot of doctors are really confused about because when they say Roth, they're just thinking Roth IRAs. So if you're under 50 and you're maximizing both plans, Assuming your employer offers you a Roth 401k, you could be setting aside 24000 a year in tax-free accounts. I got that number by 18500 into your work account. I'm going to say it's a Roth 401k. And then 5500 a year into your Roth IRA. And that sounds like a good plan. It's a fabulous plan when it works. So that should be a, the goal for clients if they can if they can make it work. And then again, once you turn, is it age 55 and then you can do the catch up and add even more? At, at 50, you're right. At 50, you can do more at work. You can do an extra thousand dollars at work. So that becomes, nope, it's more than a thousand dollars at work. I think it's up to 24,500 at work and an extra thousand dollars in your Roth IRA. Okay. So that number just gets bigger, which hopefully will help you as you enter retirement. Exactly. All right, Miss Catherine, what do we need to know next? Occasionally clients will ask me if they can use their Roth to purchase a house. So I actually went and looked up the rules on this recently. So if you wanted to take money out of your Roth to be able to buy a house, as I mentioned before, if it's been there for five years, you can take the basis or your original contribution out, no problem. And you don't even have to tell them you're buying it, taking it out for a house permit. You can do it for whatever you want. The question is, can you take the earnings out for a first-time home purchase? Yes, you can. However, all you save is the 10% penalty. You'd still have to pay ordinary income tax on all the 
earnings. And you can only do it up to $10,000. So as a result, I have never, ever had a physician or dentist actually use this provision because my thought is that they have to raid their Roth IRAs for a house purchase. They probably shouldn't be buying that house in the first place. (laughs) I would also guess with what tax bracket most dentists and physicians are in that that $10,000 really wouldn't amount to much when you went to uh, take the, pay the down payment at the bank. Exactly. It's probably a drop in the bucket. So I wouldn't plan on using a Roth for any house purchases. Excellent. Saving for a retirement of above and beyond that sometimes can be a challenge. So give us some tips or tricks of, of ways that you see that doctors can start to put money into these accounts in hopefully a painless manner. Well, I don't know how painless it is, but I can tell you how there's how to get them in legally. And then I've got a legal tax loophole. So as I mentioned before, the easiest way is to just do this direct Roth IRA contribution. It's not going to work, as I mentioned, for most of our clients. But you could go to a custodian that lets you invest directly, you know, like maybe a Fidelity, Vanguard, um, someplace like that. Open up an account and start investing. Uh, you can Your banks, your credit unions will also let you do that. So that would be the easiest. Like I said, rarely works for our clients. Um, step number two, let's say you have an existing IRA. If you do, you can do what's called a Roth conversion. A Roth conversion means you're taking funds from the IRA and you're converting them to the Roth IRA. Now, this does trigger income taxes, on the entire amount, because then remember that amount has never been taxed before, but you do not have to pay that 10% penalty on the funds that are converted. Hmm, okay, so the potential to save a significant amount of dollars there. Right, and once again, a way to get money into the tax-free bucket. The taxes are due on April 15th of the year following the conversion. Now, what's cool about this is you can convert an unlimited amount using this technique. I mean, honestly, even millions of dollars if you had millions in your IRA. But you have to be prepared to pay the taxes uh, the following April. So I usually have clients do this in stages over a period of a couple of years just to avoid a huge tax bill in one year uh, for doctors who've got large IRAs. I can understand how that tax payment would be very, very painful because you're saying that's all ordinary income tax, correct? Exactly. And we have to be careful that they're not going over certain thresholds and triggering other tax consequences like net investment income tax, other things like that. So um, it's a good technique, but we have to be careful and usually do it in stages. Excellent. Any other tricks that we can think of to fund our Roth IRAs? Well, my favorite is a tax loophole. I'm going to tell you again, it's legal. It is legal. Don't worry. So in this case, let's assume your income is over the limits we talked about before, as almost all of our doctors are. Uh, What we would do first is we'd create what's called a non-deductible IRA. This is an IRA um, that you pay the taxes on first, and then you create it. I'll assume 5,500 in this example. We get it into the IRA and then immediately, and by that I mean that day or the next day, we convert it to a Roth IRA. Uh, Assuming it's done correctly, there would be no more taxes due. So this is a great way of kind of going roundabout so you can't do a direct Roth contribution. We do what we call the backdoor contribution. So, of course, as you can imagine, there's a lot of uh, gotchas and nuances to this. 
So it only works in certain cases. It works great if you don't have any funds at all in an existing IRA that has that have not been taxed. So in this way, think of two different types of IRAs, one where the money has not been taxed and one where the money has been taxed. The backdoor technique works best when you only have IRAs that have money that has that has been taxed. And the reason is most CPAs believe that you cannot have that existing untaxed IRA and use this strategy because if you do and you do this conversion, the IRS has a pro rata calculation on the conversion and it means, this is where you need the drum roll, that those funds are taxed twice. So that's something we want to avoid at all costs. Absolutely. I would say no thank you to twice taxed. Yes, exactly. If it's not bad enough as it is. So occasionally I get clients who've got these very small IRAs that have never been taxed. And our first step is let's convert those. And they convert those over to Roths. And then they literally have zero in an IRA account because we've already converted that. And then we can take the next step and then we can do a backdoor Roth. So is this something that you could do multiple times over? So say you have an IRA that has been taxed, you do the backdoor, convert that to a Roth, and then would you close out that initial IRA account and be eligible to open another one? Or, or how does that work? Well, keep in mind that in order for this technique to work, we have to have that IRA that's not been taxed to, at zero. So once we get that to zero, I literally have them leave that account open, and then we just do this backdoor technique every year. Okay, so you use that same account. We use the same account, and for like one day a year, there's 5500 in there, and then it immediately goes into the Roth. So even when they see their statements, they'll see a, an IRA on their statements, it'll say zero, and then they'll have whatever's in their Roth IRA. Okay, and I would assume that custodians don't get upset carrying accounts that have zero, or is this something that they sort of frown upon and want you to close those accounts out? You know, that's actually a fabulous question. This has not been a problem for us because when we use a custodian, we like using TD Ameritrade. And one of the reasons we use them is that they don't charge. It's called institutional accounts. That's people like us who are financial advisors working with clients. They don't charge our clients a fee for opening the accounts or for maintaining the accounts. But you're right. If you were doing this yourself, you need to be really careful. You're not working with a firm that would charge you. Uh, because otherwise you'd have to close the account every year and open it up and it gets to be a bit of a hassle. So when you think about applying this backdoor strategy, what kind of client comes to mind as the ideal client who would benefit from this approach? Actually, I've seen them all over the ballpark. The ideal client has a smallish amount in there. So when they convert, the taxes aren't crazy. It's because if they're under 59 and a half and they're converting the, the taxes, they have to have the wherewithal to pay the taxes from another fund. They can't take the taxes out of the amount that we're converting. So, if, you know, depending on what their income is and how much other liquidity they have, we might do this on 10, 20, $50,000, you know, even more if they had a lot of liquid accounts. On the other hand, I've had clients whose IRAs were so large, we couldn't do this technique because they didn't want to have to pay taxes on 500000 or 700000 or some rather large numbers in there. Because you can imagine roughly a third of those accounts um, will have to be, um, I don't want to say set aside, but the tax would be very roughly a third of what we're converting. 
So if we're converting 750,000, very, very roughly, you'd need about 250,000 in your checking account or other brokerage accounts to pay the taxes. That sounds like one of the most painful checks you would ever have to write. I totally agree. Very painful. But I, in some cases, it might still make sense to do it, particularly if you're thinking that you're in a lower tax bracket now than you're going to be in the future. So for instance, your question about who does this work well for? It works really well for residents and fellows who are in their final year. Because as you know, um, in July of that year, uh, up till July, they've got that residence and fellow salary. And then after July, they've got their attending salary. And that year is going to be the lowest tax year for them that they'll probably see in their entire career. So very frequently that year uh, is a year that we will convert everything that we possibly can. Excellent. Well, it's a transition time for so many reasons. And now and heads up that it's a transition time for your finances as well. Right. But unfortunately, it's not easy because when we take those residents and fellows who have existing medical school debts and they're in a public service loan forgiveness program where they're trying to use uh, P the PSLF to get part of their loans forgiven down the road, this creates taxable income. So if we're converting it that year and they're creating more taxable income, sure, we're getting more money into the Roths, but it's also increasing their income, which means it could be increasing their um, IBR payment or their pay-as-you-earn payment for their student loans. Mm. So definitely be aware of what program you're in if you do have student loans that you owe. Exactly. This is where I'm like, yeah, it'd probably be helpful to get some outside advice to kind of, you know, juggle all the different possibilities and see if it's worth it. And then one other thought comes to mind as we're talking about this, and we've been talking about potential tax penalties. As I assume, we've been referring to federal tax penalties. Do states have a tax rule here as well? Yes. Each state that has a state income tax will also tax on these conversions. So, uh, you know, today you and I are in the, the lovely state of Rhode Island. So if you do a conversion, you not only have to pay federal tax on that amount converted, but you have to pay Rhode Island tax too. Um, and this gets into another crazy, crazy way to be thinking about the complexities of this. Occasionally I'll get a doctor in a relatively low tax state. I know the people in Rhode Island think it's low, but trust me, um, I also live in Minnesota and the tax rate there is close to 10%. So I consider Rhode Island quite low. <laughs> if I've got a doctor in Rhode Island who's moving to California where the top tax rate is 13%, we have to consider when they're doing those conversions because they may want to do it before they get before they move to California and they'd have to pay even more tax on the conversion. Or conversely, if they're moving to Tennessee or New Hampshire, then you may want to delay it until they set up residence in those tax-free states. Exactly. I mean, it might save 10% depending on how high the taxes are in those states. You're right. Mm. Well, again, a heads up to residents and fellows that are making that transition from training to your income earning years when you get to be of service to your community, that your choice of location has a significant impact not only on your practice, um, but on your finances as well. So make sure that you are choosing wisely. I would say amen to that. And I just read an article recently, a, a study that said, you know, where you live or your loco location has a huge impact on your happiness level, too. So it's not just about the finances. It can be about the enjoyment of life. Yes. Many things to think about when we make these big, important decisions. It's not just a job. 
All right. So tell me a little bit more. We've talked about the unique features of the Roth IRA. Can you highlight just a little, a few of the pros and cons that we should really be aware of as we start to make these decisions? Yes. So let me run through some pros and cons. Um, we mentioned that the earnings grow tax-free, so that's great. And if you do it correctly, you never have to pay tax on them. Uh, a Roth IRA is also protected from creditors. Now, this is important from our, uh, for our doctors because a lot of our doctors are concerned about asset protection strategies. The level of protection is going to vary from state to state. I think the very best reason to use a Roth IRA is its tax-free income in retirement. So if you think you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in retirement, and about 99% of all of our clients are going to be in a higher tax bracket, then it's crucial for each and every one of them to have some money that's tax-free. Okay. And so when you talk about asset protection, another thing that comes to mind is the legal side of medicine, which strikes fear into the heart of every doctor. Gosh forbid you went through a lawsuit um, and you had to defend your practice, would this Roth IRA be an asset that's vulnerable or would it potentially be protected for a civil trial? I would say for most of our clients, it would be protected in a civil trial. But again, varies from state to state? It varies from state to state. I, they're all protected, but the level of protection. So some states might have a limit that X dollars and below are protected, but you know, above X they might be vulnerable. Now, with that said, as you know, we work with over 300 doctors. I've had a number of them get sued uh, by patients, but I've never had a doctor's assets, whether it's Roth or personal assets, ever uh, be garnished or have a judgment against them. So I think that the risk here is pretty small. Excellent. Well, I'm certainly delighted to hear that because not only does the threat of lawsuit um, strike fear into our hearts, but the idea of coming out completely penniless on the other side is also tragic. Yes, that would be really tragic. So I see here that that the best reason to use a Roth is, again, a tax-free income in your retirement. And that's because it's in the tax-free bucket. You've paid the taxes up front and you're putting the money into the account after the taxes have been paid, correct? Exactly. Well done. And it's one of the few tax shelters left. I think we may have talked in previous podcasts. I can remember a day when there were hundreds and maybe thousands of tax shelters. You know, there's just a handful of them left. The rest have all been disallowed by Congress. So that's helpful. Uh, another positive is that you can transfer a Roth IRA to spouse or heirs without any income taxes. This is unlike a traditional IRA. So with a traditional IRA, if you're leaving it to your children, let's say, those taxes are due when they take the money out of the account. Almost all of them want to take the money out right away, so they've got to, they may have a huge tax bill. If they inherit a $300,000 IRA, they have to pay tax on all of it as if it were $300,000 worth of income to them that year. But not so with a Roth IRA. They can pass it to their heirs without them having to pay any income taxes. Hmm. I like that idea. It's nice to think that you can take care of future generations and help them along. Well, speaking of future generations, I've actually had a couple of savvy doctors use this for their children. So uh, I'm just going to give you one little example. I'm changing the facts a little bit here to protect them. But we had a plastic surgeon from Detroit who had triplets. 
And before they were six months old, they were already earning money starring in uh, some ads, which I thought was hilarious. So, of course, they had to have social security numbers and everything, even though they're only six months old. <laughs> so I recommended that they take the triplets pay and open a Roth for each of them. So if we just run some basic assumptions, let's assume they each child made $5,000 for the photo shoot um, and they got 7.2% per year on their investments. I'm going to use that rule of 72. That $5,000 would actually grow to $1.28 million tax-free by the time they were 80 years old. So I think that'd be a very nice gift. It makes me think that all, all that hassle of going through uh, some modeling would be well worth it. <laughs> well, I don't know how much hassle it is for a six-month-old, but I'm sure their mom, it was a pain for their mom. And um, I have had other clients whose uh, children were older and they were maybe high school students or something, and they had a summer job. You know, they made $1,000 or something in the summer. And then the parents would open up a Roth for the children and put $1,000 into the Roth for them. Mm. Now, do children have to pay income tax as well? Or because these are relatively small amounts, are they... Uh exempt from paying that tax? The, they are exempt at certain levels. I haven't looked at the what the levels are recently, but if they start making more money, then they have to pay tax like the rest of mm. us. So if you think about oh, Justin Bieber before he turned 18, he was making millions and millions, uh, probably had to pay tax. He definitely had to pay taxes like the rest of us. Okay. Yeah, it's very funny to not only think of a six-month-old with a retirement account, but to have them be filing a tax return as well. <laughs> it's a whole new world out there. It is. I don't know that they'd have to do it for 5000 That's probably under the limit. But anyway, yeah, it's funny to think about them filing tax returns. Excellent. And moving on here, Catherine, what are some of the negatives to keep in mind for this retirement vehicle? Well, as I mentioned before, the withdrawals before age 59 and a half are subject to ordinary income tax and that 10% penalty. So I think of them as relatively illiquid. Um, and Roth IRAs cannot be used as collateral for a loan, nor can you borrow from a Roth IRA. And the last negative, as I mentioned, is if you are converting your IRA to a Roth, then the taxes have to come from another account if you're under the age of 50. Okay, so don't be surprised by that tax bill. Be prepared for it. Exactly. Plan ahead. Now, as I remember going back to the 401ks, 403bs, and um, the other retirement vehicles, were they eligible for collaterals for a loan? Is this unique to the Roth IRA that it is not? Or can you say from a general perspective that these retirement vehicles generally cannot be used as, as a collateral for a loan? Generally, you cannot use them as collateral for a loan, but a 401k or 403b, you can borrow a, um, money out of them, assuming your work plan uh, allows you to do that. For most of them, you can borrow up to 50%. You so can, the Roth IRA is less liquid than the 401k. Right. And uh, the traditional IRA, you cannot borrow from a traditional IRA. Okay. So good to keep in mind, because not only do we think about an approach to retirement savings as tax efficient investing, but we also have to think about um, liquidity as approach to that, because for better or for worse, life sometimes gives you some surprises. Exactly. And I find that a lot of our young clients, nothing bad has ever happened to them. 
they haven't had their spouse be in an auto accident like mine and have him unemployed for a year. You know, they, they just, things like that have never happened to them. So they don't think in terms of the fact that they may need some of this money liquid. Well, again, Catherine, thank goodness you're there to help us make all of these little decisions that culminate in financial wellness a little bit easier for us because there is a lot to it as we are learning with each and every podcast. Well, my pleasure. All right, Catherine. So in summary here, any takeaways? What would you like us to uh, think about as we move forward? Well, I think whenever possible, try to do these Roth IRAs. There's such a fantastic opportunity uh, for you, your spouse, your, ch- your children, if they're working. Um, for the doctors, though, who are in public service loan forgiveness, be really careful about the conversions, because as I said, it might uh, increase the amount that they have to pay towards their loan because it could add to their income. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Catherine. Valuable information and admittedly very concise and well presented and hard to find anywhere else. So I'm glad that you're giving it to us. And listeners, I thank you for tuning in. As always, we encourage your questions and feedback. And we look forward to seeing you next month. Take care.